had him have the call of that star I could use. Yep. Um, got a wiggle in the air here. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, <clears throat> these thoughts are uh, persistent, but a major point that we have to work with. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Okay. Uh, is your your attitude about him? Because um, as as you improve and get better, it seems like the thoughts are even more frequent and more distracting. But that's only because your sati is getting better, mm-hmm. your ability to see. So as your uh, seeing and clarity becomes better, you find more details than before, mm-hmm. and you don't like it. Yep. So this is where we have to work also with, with attitude. And in that regard, it's the same thing as before in the sense of, aha, I see you, Mara. Aha, I see you. And you might even say it's something like, there you go again. Mm-hmm. I just threw you out and you're right back in there. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, adding joy and and playfulness with it Uh, because it's the old habit of the mind. And you've had the old habit of the mind is that those distracting thoughts that you're talking about are your enemy or are your boss or somehow suppressing you or on top of you somehow. That's just an attitude. You've already shown that all you have to do is wake up and throw those things out. You just now uh, become reconciled. You might have to do that 100 or 200 or 500,000 times over the course of your life. Feels like but it, it needs doesn't to be matter done. how many times that it takes to throw it out. The point is, is that you can uh-huh. at least right now do it. it and in fact, looking at the thoughts. Pardon? It's easier to stay, to remember and be okay with staying with the breath than it is to get rid of the thoughts. Ah, but I'm not ever saying to get rid of thought. Uh-huh. Okay, getting rid of thought you're not ready for. So let's put it this way. Uh... In order to get rid of thought, it's better to be able to get rid of one or two thoughts or only one or two words that keep going back and forth over and over and over again. To get that down to zero is a whole lot easier than um, to have a whole shattering session going. Now, that's really difficult. So... uh, what we're doing here is um, refining or honing down or uh, one way of referring to it is purifying the mind, not by throwing everything out of it, but only throwing out that which is unwholesome for the moment. So you're going to be able to continue to think. 
We don't want you to get to a state to where you can't think. If you can't think, you can't live. If you can't think, you can't drive. You can't, you can't apply for a job. You can't take a job. You can't get paid for a job. If you can't think, you're in, I mean, that's comatose. You, if they catch you not thinking for a long period of time, they'll probably hospitalize you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because thinking is way deeper than just talking. I mean, even if you just stop talking out loud, they'd probably wind up putting you in a hospital mm-hmm. of some kind. All right. But not being able to think that's that you don't want into that state. Mm-hmm. But what we want to be able to do is to control the kinds of thoughts that we allow in. So when the thoughts are distracting thoughts, we want to take them out. And one of the distracting thoughts is, why can't I get my mind to shut up? Mm-hmm. That's just another distracting thought. Wanting something that you don't have is a distracting thought. Okay. Okay, so wanting the mind to do something that it's not doing in the current moment is wanting something we don't have. That's a form of suffering. This is, in in a way, kind of tricky or almost like a catch-22. But the answer is immediately obvious when we recognize, oh, no, you can get your satisfaction immediately. You don't have to wait for your satisfaction to come by getting the mind quiet. Oh, Oh, I would be satisfied if I could get the mind to be quiet. Why can't I get the mind to be quiet? Why can't I get the mind to be quiet? You know, I'd be satisfied if I could get the mind to be quiet. And you hear the turmoil in there? All right. But if you can become satisfied, even though the mind is not quiet, then you can have the mind do the kind of thoughts that have to do with being satisfied. Okay. And thinking about the fight that you had with Aunt Susie, that's not very satisfying. So those are the kind of thoughts you want to throw out to avoid. And yet, if you just had a fight with Aunt Susie, and after you just, yeah, 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 back and forth, and then you sit down to meditate, I guarantee you that you cannot throw Aunt Susie out of the mind very easily. Only an experienced Mm -hmm. meditator can do that. No, everybody's going to take that argument that they're having into their a sitting meditation and continue yak, yak, yak on the inside. Yep. Okay. And then you can say, well, wait a minute. I don't really need that. In fact, it's been a while now. This is not a fresh argument with Aunt Susie. I don't have to have that argument right now. I can wait for even longer. Say that again. Whatever thoughts that you're having that are distracting. Yep are probably not an emergency. Right, yeah. And so they can wait. So just let those ones go. Pardon? Just let those ones go. Just just let them go, because they're, they're not an emergency. These are not thoughts of, my pants are on fire. Uh, if you're if you're having those kind of thoughts, please do something about the yeah. pants are on fire. It's really hard to be satisfied while your pants <laughs> are on fire. <laughs> All right. But most of the time, the thoughts that we have are not 
an emergency. Things are not an emergency. In fact, I think that that's part of the spiritual disease that we have. That Bhikkhu Dasa talks about it as the prison of life or the spiritual disease. And part of the component of the spiritual disease is the, uh, the thought or the belief or the view that there are emergencies. Uh, Where in fact, there's almost no emergencies. Even though you have ambulances, a good ET will not be in emergency mode. Uh, yeah. That's true. Yes, okay. So let's get out of being emergency mode, even though we may have uh, uh, things that give the illusion of emergencies, like ambulances and and that sort of thing. Uh, But the reality is there's not much of an emergency. (coughs) So Amon is calling now. If you don't mind, I'll invite him in on this. Yep. Hello, Aman. Hello. Hey. Hello. This is this is Chen Tan. Aman, hey, where I'm are Chen. you located? I'm in Seattle, Washington. You're in Seattle, okay. And Chetan, you're in England, right? Yep. I'm in London. Cool. You're in London. So we had just come to a pause in our uh, discussion. Um that basically concerns that even when we're able to watch the breath and keep the mind sort of focused on the breath, still there's a lot of thoughts going on. Background thoughts or foreground thoughts, whether it's background or foreground, is not really so important. That in fact, that's just kind of an attitude. Basically, it's all timeshare in the sense that there will be tiny little mind moments that you're thinking about thinking, and then there'll be tiny little moments of uh, mind moments when you're uh, focused on the breathing, and we can move back and forth. The mind's really, really fast that way. And so in that regard, it's not really background. It's actually just this is what's happening. Um, But we don't want to stop the mind from thinking. That puts the mind in a, a state of um, not being able to function. We need to be able to think that we are thinking beings. The problem is not that we think or even think too much, perhaps, but that we're thinking the wrong things. We're thinking the kinds of things that cause us trouble, and we're not thinking of the things that would... Um, get us out of feeling like that there was a trouble. That in fact, generally there's not. And so we were looking at it from the perspective of emergency, that really there is no emergency. Mm. There are no real emergencies. And because of that, no thought that we have needs to be happening right now. That we in fact can begin to think the kind of thoughts that we want to have and leave the kinds of thoughts that we don't need to have for later, but we certainly don't want to shut the mind down. The example would be that your pants are on fire. (laughs) And so we need to have the thought, my pants are on fire, because we really need to do something about that. 
because it's really hard to be in a state of satisfaction when our pants are on fire. And so we do not want the mind to stop completely. That's one of the problems, I think, with Western meditation is, is that uh, going to an, what they call a no-mind state is really all of that desirable. It does have its value, but that value is actually limited as far as insight goes. That what we really need to do is to get not, not to an empty mind, completely empty, but to a mind that's void of or empty of the things that will take us into suffering. Mm -hmm. And the, that kind of mind then, because it's void of all of the things that cause suffering, we could call that a kind of an empty mind or a pure mind. Yeah. Because it's pure of all of the stuff that is un, unnecessary, unreliable, sounds like it's an emergency when it's not. And generally, it's also all kinds of magical thinking that gets us into states of desire or wanting things. Magical so coming thinking. out... Pardon? Magical thinking. Say again? Magical thinking. Magical thinking, precisely. Now, here's a magical thinking that is very, very common. But I call it magical thinking because it takes a bit of wisdom. Everyone, now during coronavirus times, things are a little bit different. But let us say in the normal times, everyone expects that if they put in uh, work, like a week or two weeks or whatever, whatever the payday schedule is, that if I put my time in and do the work during that time, then I'll get paid. And that's that while that may be uh, generally how it is, we cannot count on that as how it is to count on that being true, that you will always get paid for the work that you put in. That's magical thinking. Because, in fact, much of the work that you will put in, you may not, in fact, get paid for. But it's also quite possible, in fact, it's a regular occurrence that when a company declares bankruptcy, do you know what day they, they declare bankruptcy? On payday. Oh. Why? Because that means that they got the full week or two weeks work out of the people. If they declared bankruptcy the day after payday, then people are going to quit. We can work them for two weeks and then declare bankruptcy, right? If you think of it that way, then that's all also. Another one that I know of would be that, oh, I've worked really hard and I've done everything they want me to do. I'm surely expecting a promotion. She says that while she's looking at her pink slip. She just got laid off. But look how hard I work. Mm. Mm-hmm. So... These things we can't count on. We cannot count on them. And so this is just a kind of a weird example of magical thinking. And that it's in, this kind of magical thinking is why people get into living from paycheck to paycheck. Or they get into debt. That uh, the Buddha actually used uh, being in debt 
as an example of what the hindrances are like in the mind. In Sutta number 39 in the Majjhima Nikaya, there is a long description of uh, the hindrances, including five analogies. Now, these five analogies may not fit one-on-one with each one of the hindrances so that it's kind of like this, but it's more of the five hindrances have these five kinds of examples that when you're free from the hindrance, it's kind of like this, okay? So one example is that you're in the hospital and that you get out of the hospital because you're, you're cured now. It feels good to feel healthy. Another example on that same line would be feeling really tired. And then we take a few deep breaths and all of a sudden we don't feel so tired anymore. So it's better to feel not tired than it is to feel tired. Being free from the hindrances of the mind is very much like getting over being tired or being sick. Another example would be... um, thinking about which ones I want to use first. (laughs) Um, Being in jail is a good example. But in fact, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it in the sense of the prison of life. Or another way of thinking about it is the spiritual disease. So this prison of life that he's got, this is part of that analogy that being when the mind is hindered, that means that we're lacking freedom the freedom to go and do what we want to do and feel the way that we want to do, we're instead stuck. Yeah. We're stuck I, in jail. I feel like I've been uh, thinking about that a lot lately, actually, of just, one, noticing how much of the language that I've read about Buddhism is around being bound, like the fetters, and just being, uh, it's like, it's it's about freedom. And then the thing I've been noticing in my own personal life is I have, it's, it's, it's like when I have mindfulness, I have options and I don't have just the one thing that I've always done. I have another option and it's actually viable. It's not just like a thought, oh, I should do this or I could do that, but it's, it's like an actual option. There is a long article in one of the new books that have come out, um, and the, the excerpt out of the book was an article that was put in Lion's War about Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. And that what they were talking about was, or what he's talking about there is basically, the name of it is Kama. The choice is yours. Now, in this case, the Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is talking about Kama in the sense of bondage or in the sense of the jail that we are in. The prison of our life is the prison that we've constructed, and we call that personality. But when we're stuck in personality, it's kind of like a jail. And at any one particular time, when we're caught thought in a repetitious thought, like an argument with a, with a dear friend or something like that, then it's like being captured by that thought. And it's hard to let it go sometime and, until we recognize that, wait a minute, I am not captured by that thought. I'm capturing the thought. I'm the one in charge here. I can th- drop that thought. 
because it in fact is not an emergency. I don't have to think about it right now. That I can come out of those thoughts. All right. So another example of uh, these five analogies of the hindrances uh, is uh, kind of like a job or that you're a servant. Now, being a servant or a slave is completely different than um, being in prison, because when when you're in prison, everything is in prison. But in this sense of being a servant or a slave, that means that basically our time is in prison or what we're doing is in prison. That we've got, if we're the servant of the king, we've got to get up in the morning before the king arises. We've got to get ready for, for him waking up, including getting something food he won't like and get his clothes out and all that kind of stuff. But if he fires me, now I don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. Okay, so you can actually think of that in, in the analogy of your your job. That, that everybody says, oh, I've got to have a job, that we want the uh, economy chugging along. We want everybody back to work. Well, I'm hoping people are saying, wait a minute. I think my coronavirus um, um, uh, uh, epidemic is going to last years. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I'm not ready to go back to work yet. Why? Just think about it. Getting up in the morning. Not because you want to, but because you are forced and then getting in your car and driving in traffic to get to the office. And to now what are you going to do in the office? You can't do what you want to do. You can't get on the Internet and play and talk with your friends. No, you got to do what somebody else wants you to do. You got to spend your time doing that in order to get that reward, which, in fact, you may not get. So wouldn't it be more free of your time? You'd have a whole lot more freedom if you didn't have to work. If you could find a way of living and getting your requisites from without having to work for it, I think most people would take the option of, wow, I really don't have to work. If all I need to do is get myself comfortable and happy with the minimal amount, then why am I working at a job that gives me more money than I need? Because most people will say, oh, well, I'll go buy something. A lot of people, in fact, uh, um, they have mentality like shop till you drop or that they get good benefit or they feel good. They feel pleasure because they're out shopping and spending money without recognizing that, oh, no, the money that you get that you're piddling away as a reward. You didn't have to feel that way. Because you look, you were working. So if you get fired or you get laid off, you're actually free now in a way that you weren't free before. In a way, being a servant to a job or an employee is almost the same thing as being in prison. Yep. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting that you say that. Um, just because about a year ago, I left my job. And <laughs> when I left, I was in this situation where, you know, I left voluntarily uh but if i hadn't left voluntarily they would have kicked me out was the situation um and i remember just a week a week after that i went on a hike with some friends and one of my friends said like wow i haven't seen you smile this much in a long time <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yeah it's the, i was it was a very stressful job too and um so that was yeah 
Well, every job is just a job. Always the stress is optional. But you were adding that stress, so the job was stressful. In fact, you were just you were the stressful. The job was just a job. Yeah. But some jobs it's easier to call them stressful than others. For for instance, the desk sergeant at the police station has a certain kind of stressful job, but his job is not as uh, stressful as being in a squad car riding around town. Or getting the stress of having to uh, stop people. So that's also uh, stressful. But that stress every time, even by the cop, is added to it. He is stressed out because he's prone to being stressed out. And if he really knew what was going on, the first thing he'd do is he'd quit that kind of job. (laughs) And go find something that was easy. Something did not have so much requirement. Now, there's one way to look at that, and that is this this one tends to have a particular um, but, uh, hindrance associated with it in the sense of greed. So it's interesting to look at the hindrance of greed because greed is what keeps us employed. Mm. We want things and because we want things we're willing to go out and do things even though what we're doing is not satisfying that we will actually take on a stressful job under the delusion that uh if i do a a job a stressful job successfully i will not have stress no you don't look at you (laughs) you're in that job and you're stressed out so how can we find comfort in a stressing job so the easiest way is to come out of that job. It's much more difficult and takes a whole lot of dom and a whole lot of practice for us to come out of our stress while holding a job that is uh, typically known to be stressful. But we could do that. I just don't understand why anybody would bother. <laughs> I'd rather be hiking with friends with a smile on my face than sitting at a stressful job. And see, you said you one of the things that happens, though, when people are about to lose their job, they are full of fear. Mm-hmm. The fear is I will not be able to get another job. Oh, poor is me. And in fact, the whole business community wants you to feel that way. Mm. They want you to feel like that, because otherwise people are not going to be doing their jobs anyway. They go check in and then do whatever they want to do. A lot of companies are already like that. And that's what I would recommend is if you're going to take a job, take a job. But you don't have to feel bad or do what they want you to do. It's okay to lose that job. Yeah, actually, uh, the, the reason I lost my job uh, it was kind of interesting. I was getting constant feedback that I need to do more and I need to work more and I need to produce more and it needs to be higher quality. And I was getting this feedback and... In the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, I can work harder. I can overcome it. Um, And I started doing that, and they just kept giving me this feedback continually. Uh, So that kind of weighed on me. But at some point near the end of right before I left, I didn't start working more. I would still, I would work the amount Mm -hmm. I want, like I could work. And I'd be like, no, I can't do anymore. And then eventually they're like, all right, well, then we're going to have to let you to go. 
Okay. Um, That's probably the easiest way out. So I congratulate you with that. Yeah. That's probably the easy way. So um, this might be a good point to talk about the, the, uh, the four requisites. That every, uh, everyone has these same four requisites and the Buddha recognizes these. Uh, that if we go underneath the bottom floor of any of these requisites, there's likely for us to suffer dukkha. But if we can bring it up to this bottom level of these just four requisites, then we can have a really happy life up to us. And one of those is adequate housing, adequate clothing. As you can see, I'm adequately dressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got on headphones. <laughs> adequate food and adequate medical attention. Well, actually, a lot of people don't have adequate medical attention. A lot of people don't have adequate food. Uh, and that almost everyone that I know, even the very poorest, has way more clothes than they need. Mm-hmm. That adequate clothing is just, you know, just adequate. And that when we come to that point of just adequate housing, just adequate clothing, just adequate um, uh, food and just adequate medical attention. That means that most people, when they when they work and have a job. They can actually support a half a dozen or maybe even uh, a dozen or perhaps even 20 people who are living at a very basic minimum. There was a very famous uh, meditation teacher by the name of Gurdjieff back around the turn of the century with a, uh, an author who is named Ospensky that wrote about some of this stuff. He had an institute that was close to Paris. And what he would do, what he actually did, they, uh, with a particular restaurant, he had a deal with them that the job did not belong to an individual, it belonged to his organization. And that Gurdjieff guaranteed that there would be adequate staffing for that job. But it wound up that four or five different people took that job, depending upon what time they went to work. Okay, today you go to that job, and the next day you go to that job, and everybody was quite satisfied. And I think that it was nothing much more than waiting on tables. Mm-hmm. except that the guys only had to wait on tables about once a week. And the rest of their time was off, but they had, um, by living with Gurdjieff in his house, they had all that they needed. <clears throat> so this is one of the ways of looking at the Dhamma, is, is that let's get into kind of a minimalist uh, frame of mind at a physical level, so that then we can be free from these kind of physical hindrances as well as be free from them mentally. Okay, so I have two now left. One we've already covered was being ill, being in jail, being uh, employed. Now the next one we're going to look at is the quality, which this one's the one that I started out with in the first place, and that is debt. That if we can live our lives with these just these four requisites, then the likelihood of us going into debt is very low. Mm. Uh, but if we live high on the hog, most people who live high on the hog, they have to pay uh, uh, bills for it, uh, borrow money, 
uh, take out automobile loans. That one of the things that I have been doing for many, many years, possibly all my life, was if I cannot afford to buy the car, then I don't buy it. That I don't want to have uh, a mortgage or a, uh, a car loan unless it's necessary mm-hmm. uh, for some reason or another. And that whenever I've had those kind of debts, I've always wanted to get out of debt. I don't like being in debt. I want to be free. I don't want to have to owe anybody anything. And so um, this is the quality then. Uh, I don't know whether either one of you have any debt or not, but we can ask the question, wouldn't you feel better off if you were completely free from debt? Student loans. Student loans, right. Being free from student loans, being free from all of the encumbrances. Um, now, that's a freedom. That freedom is, I mean, that's, that's right up there. In fact, being in debt is almost like being in jail. Uh-huh. Having to, uh, to be employed at a job, especially if you don't like it and it's stressful and whatever, that's almost like being in jail. And so being in debt... Uh, And basically where we get into debt, again, is with our own greed, wanting things that we don't have. And so if we can come out of greed, come out of wanting things that we don't have at a physical level, then we're much better off not likely to be so in debt uh, and uh, hamstrung and in need of that job. So if you can see it that way, how much more so is that freedom when we're free from the hindrances, especially the hindrance of wanting things, uh-huh. so that we come out of our uh, the state of, of wanting, because that will spend a lot of our time. One of the th- reasons why we want things is because we feel dissatisfied with our past, and we want to fix it. This is really an interesting thing. Because I don't know of anybody who's completely satisfied with their past. And in fact, as we grow in Dhamma, we actually, um, our, our own moral standards begin to improve so that who we are and how we would expect to live now, we would then reflect what happened five or ten years ago And we would look at, oh, what a stupid creature that was. And then we become selfish and say, look what a stupid jerk I was. And now we start to feel bad about it. To where, in fact, if we understand that the past is dead, that even if I had a memory of uh, that I hurt two or three people in a situation, If I go back and talk to them about it, they probably won't remember it the way that I do. Uh Because I'm going to make myself very, very painful because I remember being such a jerk and they don't even remember it. And so this is a point about staying out of the past because that's, in fact, hindrance. And and normally the intention is, is that to dig up something in the past that we don't approve of, we don't like, and we think needs to be fixed. So now we've got a situation of wanting something we don't have. I've got to go fix it. 
This is especially true when it comes to the sensations and the feelings that are associated with anxiety, that we don't really know why we feel uptight and anxious and stressed. So we try to figure out what it is that's making me upside, anxious and stressed so that we can go fix that thing. The example is a um, uh, an an old um, story about uh, an old poor man in a hovel way back when, and he's laying there and he has kind of an anxiety attack, and he's saying, "What is this? You know, oh, I know what it is." And so he decides that the reason he feels this way is because his fence needs mending, and he hadn't done it yet. And so he goes and he, in the night, spends the time to mend the fence so that the goats don't get out and the wolves don't get in. And after he fixes the fence, he comes back in, he lays down in his hovel, and guess what? The anxiety comes back. The anxiety may have been there the whole time that he was fixing the fence, but while he was fixing the fence, he wasn't paying attention to how he felt. Now that he's not fixing the fence and he goes back and lays down and now he's beginning to experience the very feelings that he had. He's got his fence fixed, but he has still his heart is not right. So that means that what we need to do in the Dhamma is to start working directly. On things like anxiety. So that we, instead of trying to do something on the outside to fix that anxiety, we work with it right here, right now, breathe into it and become free from that anxiety and get ourselves back into a state of satisfaction. So just let it go. Let it go. Right. Push it out is the kind of letting it go. Mm-hmm. Not not just opening the door, but giving it a quick kicking the pants on the way out. Here, let me help you out. Here's the door. I'm going to help you go. All right. So is um, I know that it's very common in Western um, Buddhism to talk about letting go. But letting go sounds um, as if there's no effort to it at all. Yeah that things will drop. If I let something go, then it's going to fall. More than likely, it's really like this. I can open my hands, but it still sits there. Yeah, I haven't let it go at all. I've got to throw it out. Uh Yeah, that's the extra effort that it takes. This is one's right effort is the effort that it takes to throw this stuff out. And so the last example of the hindrances is the example of crossing a desert with your camel and all of your goods. And when you get, arrive uh, either uh, at a way station or to your home and you sit down, now you can relax. While you were out on the journey, you were on vigil. You had to watch. You, you were not comfortable. Uh, three thieves. Um, uh, that your baggage needs to be attended to. I see this in travel when I'm in Thailand here. I haven't been traveling in a long, long time. But I remember when I would get on the boat 
And when I got on the boat, I would get on the boat. I'd put a shirt on, but that's all you're going to get out of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe an item if I got to go to the visa office, I'm going to have an envelope uh, full of stuff. But that's all. Everyone else getting on the boat, the foreigners, every one of them has got two or three suitcases. They've got a front suitcase, a back suitcase, and a pull along, and all they're going with them. Why are they carrying all of this stuff? Especially when you recognize that it actually makes um, a problem with travel to the point that it's almost impossible for these people to travel by themselves alone. Because you cannot keep that baggage with you all the time. But if you're not carrying anything, you don't need to keep stuff with you all the time. But when you're out traveling, you need your companion to take care of everybody's gear so that one person can be uncomfortable to go and do something like go into the bank and do business or whatever. And so it's a huge amount of burden to have a lot of baggage. But once we arrive home, no matter how much baggage we have, the fact is now we can relax. We can feel secure. We can feel satisfied. So in that regard, no matter how much baggage you present yourself in your mind when you're out around, uh, out and about or whatever, you can imagine arriving home and dispensing with having to deal with any of this baggage anymore. That now we're at home, now we're secure, now we're comfortable. And so having this quality of being at home or being at rest is also the quality of being free from the hindrances. Because when we're in hindrance, that's not like being on a journey. I mean, the mind just goes all over the place carrying all kinds of baggage. But if we can bring the mind home, that means that we can keep the mind focused on what's happening right now, the here now, this present moment, being at home, being at rest, being at peace. So getting then back with this understanding about the hindrances and these analogies, we can go back then to that question that you were asking about being burdened with these thoughts that happen even while we're being able to watch the breath. These thoughts are still there. And we don't want to bring the mind to a point of stopping altogether. In other words, uh, just because in that analogy that we've been able to come home, that doesn't mean that we die. It just means that now we're at home and we don't have to worry about the journey anymore. Don't have to worry about the baggage of the journey. And so uh, what this actually means now is this very important quality that many students miss because they think either monkey mind or no mind. Yep. But in fact, there's a huge, huge terrain in between. From monkey mind to consolidated focused mind to repetitive mind to a mind, let us call it a mind of mantra, where you can get it down to just one or two words. And if you can get the mind down to just one or two words, going is only minus two is zero. Mm. 
So being able to keep completely focused on a, on a mantra, another example of that is counting uh, our either counting the breath one at a time as we take it in and out, or better still, to count one second while the breathing is going so that the only thing that we get down doing is just the counting itself. Well, even if we're counting up to 20, still, that's only 20 thoughts that we've had in 20 seconds. Wow. Now we're getting pretty close to no mind. Uh But generally, when students get started, uh, the mind being uh, effectively quite noisy, we're going to say, okay, let's just cut it in half. Let's go for, and the, and the, the distinction would be, I, uh, and I was talking to a friend of mine who understood this language. Uh, in uh, radio electronics, we have a quality of signal and noise and the signal-to-noise ratio. We actually have that quite a lot in computers, of what is signal and what is noise. That whole part also is why there are error rates in in statistical polling, is because there's a certain amount of, of, of noise in there. One of the claims of noise is people lie to you. Uh-huh. And so there's always going to be noise in the signal. The question is, can we begin to discern what is only noise in our mind and what is real signal? Well, a way of looking at that then is the signal is that which is actually incoming signal, which means the body, the touch of the body, the proprioceptic, the feeling of how the body is existing, the touch of the cloth, the touch of the wind, all kinds of things associated with the body. And we can think about that and be right here in the here now. Those are the kinds of thoughts that would be really wholesome. Another kind of thought would be the thought of the breath. Is this an in-breath? Is it a deep in-breath? Is this the out-breath? Is it a deep out-breath? This is also the kind of thoughts that would be quite wholesome. Another one would be even if the eyes are open, is to just gaze instead of looking at anything in particular, we just let the, the eyes gaze to no particular thing at all. That way we can take in a huge amount of data just by allowing the eyes to be open, uh, not looking for or looking at anything. Uh, uh, one of the common jokes about that, in fact, is imagine that the army uh, back in uh, Old West time, so you've got the cavalry up on top of the cliff, And the guy's there with his binoculars, and he's looking at this group of Indians down below. And while he's intention watching these Indians, a whole bunch of Indians sneak up right behind him. (laughs) Now, even though his eye may have been on the Indians, it wasn't on the right Indians at the right time. That we need to have a much more open or global way of, of seeing the world is instead of being focused on individual items, we want to open our visual awareness. By doing so, we can also open our listening awareness just to hear what's happening around us and to open our kinesthetic awareness to be uh, in the way of just experiencing the air and our touch and all of that kind of stuff. These are the kind of thoughts that are super-duper wholesome. This is all signal 
very little noise to become aware of our, our environment and everything around us. This, this is part of what Anapanasati has a quality of is to begin to wake us up to being in the here now, starting with the breath and the body and the senses so that we can have the kinds of thoughts that are associated with this being here now. Then we would begin to add the quality of the actual Dhamma in the sense of when the mind wanders away, we know that that's Dukkha. We can say, aha, that's Dukkha. Aha, Mara, I can see you. So we begin to now actually add in the elements of the Four Noble Truths to the point that one of the thoughts that we can have is, wow, this is really nice. Wow, I'm completely free from suffering. Wow, this is really, really good. I like this. So these are the kind of thoughts that we want to start um, working on and maintaining. Thoughts about joy. Thoughts about um, following the path. Thoughts about um, what's happening right here, right now. Thoughts of how we feel when we feel the way that we want to feel rather than feeling the way that we are in the habit of feeling. Now, when we get our minds in this kind of state, all kinds of insights and whatnots will start to pop into place. We'll begin to really figure out what, what is real. But so long as we're stuck back in the hindrances, that's just the old pat patterns of the mind that keeps us stuck in our old habit patterns of the mind. They're, they're habits. But we're going to develop new habits, but the new habits, number one item on that new habit list is freedom from these hindrances, because the hindrances themselves is what puts us back into personality or back into the sankara or back into the past. I find that most of the time I'm always switching between having really really hyper awareness of everything and then not having it where there's all the thoughts and feeling like I lost that awareness again and I, I, I just always cycle between those two. Okay well the first thing to do then which you're already talking about doing this is actually step nine of Anapanasati is uh, expressed in the sense of experiencing the mind and the mental states so that you can begin to see that sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you are in hindrances and, and uh, it's really hard to get out of and sometimes you're really free. This is good awareness for you to do uh, to understand that and also to begin to track your your progress. Not that I'm doing better than I did yesterday, but you begin to experience the mind and look at the mind and see that it can be focused, it can be clear, it can be free from hindrances, and that sometimes it actually is. And if we keep uh, bringing sati to the fore, which means we keep practicing to remember to watch for these hindrances because they're sneaky. Oh. They're sneaky only in the way uh. that you are, uh, how to say it, we are delusional. We, we think that we are this, but we're not. That we're really that over there. But if we really start looking at it, we kind of won't like it. They said, no, I think I'm this instead. 
So we have to get over that, which also means the right effort to keep looking at what's really going on and change it. Every time we recognize that we're, uh, we don't practice choiceless awareness in the sense of just letting it run over us. Mm. No, we're going to stop it. As soon as we can catch that hindrance, we're going to throw it out. This is the path of the Buddha, not to sit there in hindrance and say, oh, me, oh, my, yes, I understand hindrances. Boy, am I full of them. There's not the right way to practice. But rather, I catch you. I see you. Aha, I see you, Myra. Out you go. And then the later thought was, oh, boy, is it so nice to be free from that stuff. So this is the way that we practice, and we have to practice this over and over and over again. This is one's right effort. The the two things, I think there's two things that are, like, standing out a lot to me. Okay. Uh, And one is, and I've been noticing, it's just the constancy of the effort. And I've been noticing I don't, you know, if if the effort is like a gas pedal, I don't need to push it down all the way but I need to push it down a little all of the time. Like, I noted like... Not all the... not You just fell into my little favorite trap. Not all the time, but for sure every time you can remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you do remember it, then you'll say, wait a minute, I had forgotten and I wasn't doing it all the time. Oh, poor me. And now we wallow in self-pity yes. rather than putting the pedal down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I, I don't, I don't mean to say that I was doing that, but just that, it's, I, I've noticed whenever I don't put in the effort, that's exactly, and it's what you said, the hindrances are sneaky. The second <laughs> I don't do it, I, that's when they, they get me, and I was kind of thinking yeah. about, like, I was uh, listening to this cognitive science professor, and he was kind of saying how these self-destructive habits we have are using the same machinery that we're trying to use to overcome them. Mm-hmm. And that, like the same thing that makes us adaptive and able to survive in our environment means that those hindrances essentially are using the same machinery. And so in a way, they're really sneaky. Right. And they're hindering. That's why they're called hindrances or obstructions. Because they're obstructing us from being free. Another one would be called baggage. Mm-hmm. That this is yeah. just mental baggage that we keep carrying around. And that the baggage itself is not really a problem until we go on a trip with the mind. The journey of the mind carrying all that baggage around is just not very satisfying. And so the whole trick is, is how often can we remember? And then like you said, put the gas down just a little bit. That right effort means just the least amount of effort necessary to actually get the job done. (laughs) And this is an important quality, just to get the job done. So first, let's define what the job is. The job itself is, is to free the mind from the hindrances. That's the only thing that the job is. That's all we need to do as a job. And that takes some effort. But as we're getting good at it, not much. Not much effort. But in the beginning, sometimes it feels like it's a struggle. Oh, there's, I mean, monkey mind. Oh, it's so much work. I've heard all of that. (laughs) But after you get used to it, it's actually quite easy. 
even though the uh, the state of the mind or the condition of the mind will go up and down our ability to do this. Now, surprisingly enough, one of the things that get us locked into hindrances is when the mind is dull or when it is um, tired. Mm. This is where the breathing comes in. If we can just get the breathing going again and get the oxygen back into the blood and, and start to wake up the mind again, we don't feel so tired anymore, which means now we can deal with the hindrances a lot easier. This is why the breathing component is so useful. I, I've been actually running into that in my own, uh, in my own practice. I've, I've been, I, I noticed this cycle and I, I caught myself, but I noticed this cycle where I would, I would start with having good breathing. It would get me into a really nice place. I would become very content and just fine. And I would sit on the cushion without a timer and I just didn't need to get up until I was really hungry or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and because I was content in my mind, I thought, okay, I don't need to breathe as, you know, I, I remember breathing more shallow and thinking, I'm fine with that too. This is all fine. But eventually, like, the, the energy level kept going down. And then suddenly this contentedness became just like a stuck kind of static, <laughs> just de somewhat depressive thing. And then I would kind of go into the cycle and then I, uh, now I'm just doing a really good job of taking those deep breaths. So I balance the, right. the contentedness. I am with really energy. pleased that you, that you, first, you told me that, and two, that you actually went through that. That I tell students that, every student I'll tell them that at least once. But when you actually see that for yourself, or when you share it with other students and they can see that you're real about that, that yes, if we get content, to the point that we're not even taking enough effort to take those deep breaths, we will just fall right into it, right into the state of um, uh, the mind gets dull or tired or whatever. But if we keep the, the breath going, then the mind will be sharp and focused and well-established so that we can actually then deal with the hindrances better. So that breath then is an important feature about if we recognize that the mind has in fact gotten dull, the answer is, as you say, take a deep breath. Start watching the mind now. Does it start perking up as I take one deep breath after another? So we begin to watch. And sure enough, it does. And then we say, aha, now I see it for myself. Poor old fat Damarato can say that a thousand times and it doesn't mean anything, but when somebody actually gets it, <laughs> now yeah. he's got value. <laughs> I felt actually a little silly because you've said it so much. And that once I realized, oh, I, even though the last time we spoke, you said, do, you know, a deeper breath, do more long breaths. And then I was like, oh, how did I forget? <laughs> um, well, we just do. We go back into the old natural habit. And, and in fact, you did. You saw your or you at least told me how you had talked yourself into that. Oh, well, I feel good now. Therefore, I don't have to put in any more right effort. Mm -hmm. Where maybe not so much right effort, but just enough right effort to keep the breathing going. That's all we need to do now. Yeah. And uh, it helps for me. Um 
to also just kind of do and just to shake things up a little. I did I did like an hour, an hour long deep breathing thing, and mm-hmm. and with emphasis really on uh uh like at the the way I was breathing was. I would breathe first into my belly and then into my chest and then I would let go and it was roughly like this. I would do this lying down and just the okay. amount of energy and buzziness and it would the energy level would just really get up there, get up so high that I almost couldn't get it up any higher and I would I would kind of know you know if you think about pushing pushing the gas pedal I would know what the bottom of the gas pedal is. Um, so that was really helpful. And once I got to that height of energy, I was able to, I kind of realized, okay, I'm at, I'm at this peak. I can kind of let go a little bit. And once I did that, then insights started coming and I, I had like memories coming up and some like emotional stuff was happening and I wasn't even really clear on what was happening, but I could tell something was happening. Okay. Well, good. Um, that's actually um, a very useful exercise, not not every day, but occasionally, is to just have the intention of keep breathing, breath, uh, keep breathing deeply, uh, even to the point of um, when someone has been running or climbing uh, uh, many many flights of stairs or climbing a hill or whatever that the body gets what is called out of breath. Now, basically, that's um, uh, controlled by the back part of the reptilian brain that is actually, um, the trigger is the acidic level of the blood. Because when there's a lot of carbon dioxide in the blood, that raises the acidic level, it's called carbonic acid. And so now we start deep breathing and sometimes people, um, they, they call it catching one's breath. It's like we just, <sighs> okay, well, if we're, if we're in a normal state and we start breathing that way, that means that the body is going to get oxygenated fairly quickly. That's the whole point of that kind of breathing. Is is very not not necessarily yeah we could call it short breath in fact that kind of breathing i've got a good friend um uh dama v2 uh achan dama v2 been a monk for 27 years and when he teaches an advanced course he does teach this as the short breath which is also part of the Anapanasati Sutta. so dealing with the short breath means that you're going to be bringing in a lot of oxygen and throwing out a lot of stuff, really heavy. Now the question yeah, is, I, how long I are you going to sense. do that? You, it's hard to do that for an hour. It, it was, uh, it was intense. I was doing it with a group over video chat, so that helped. Um, it and sure really, does. by the forty-minute mark, I was because there, there was this peak, and then there was the release, the emotional release, and after that, it was kind of like I was spent and i i couldn't you know i couldn't do another uh session but um and the the other thing i noticed was i could kind of tell there was so much energy that if i didn't have my experience with developing the more contentedness side of things it would have been overwhelming and mind-blowing exactly Uh uh-huh 
this is that kind of um, um, practice is not good for beginners that really do we need to practice with the long breath and in fact the long breath is the more uh, the most common of our time but it is good to play with that very quick uh, uh, exchange just to get ourselves to understand how tingly alive we can be this mm-hmm. is actually part of the process of pity, too, because the hair on the arms stand up and the shivers come in and it's just all kinds of really delicious feelings that happen when we get the body really, really energized and full of oxygen. And here that stuff is right in front of us in the air. <laughs> and yet we close down. We don't take the effort to bring that stuff in. So if we begin to take the effort of really breathing well, breathing deeply, and even practice uh, panting or um, not a, not panting the way that a dog does because we humans can't even breathe that fast. They, in fact, pant not to breathe, but to, uh, to cool off. Panting is, <sighs> well, we don't have the equipment for that. That's not what we're talking about here. So it's not that really fast panting, but it's more of what we call out of breath. (gasps) You've all been in that state. You know what I'm talking about. You have been out of breath. If you don't know what it's like, go jog a mile or something until you get out of breath so you'll know what we're talking about. And then you start doing that kind of breathing, the kind of breathing that is done naturally when the body demands it because the um, um, uh, the blood chemistry is so wacko that the it's got a lot of acid in it, a lot of carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide is not getting out. No, we're at a completely different world. We're on the other side of the moon with this. This kind of breathing now is going to not just expel all of the carbon dioxide, but it really is a kind of a blood purifier as well as reestablishing and getting so much oxygen in the blood that now every cell in the body is like getting a free meal. <laughs> and we become tingly alive all over, and not just all over on the outside, but all over on the inside, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think Ramon is remembering that, and he said, yeah, it's like yeah, that. Yeah, I've been kind of noticing... And this, I think, just comes with making the path my own. But, you know, like a lot of instruction, meditation instruction is, oh, when you sit, you should be like perfectly still. And recently I've been playing around with, and this is just, this is instruction that I've heard from just, you know, wherever. But recently I've been playing around with like moving my neck just a little if I'm in a nice day and it just feels so good to like move my neck, it's kind of weird, but it just feels so good. And so I, and I, it's been good practice. All right. Hear the distinction between these two statements. The first statement is you should sit still. Second statement, if you practice well and come to a state of relaxed contentment, the body will become still. See the difference between those two? One is, is that the one, the second one is that said about 
an expert or someone who really knows what he's doing, sort of the outcome. Mm -hmm. But the first one is what the beginning student hears. Yeah, exactly. And they're not the same thing at all. And so, um, and that's, that's also <laughs> part of the issue with Western Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Everybody yeah, I, wants to know the bottom line. They want to, you know, let's skip chapters of uh, four through 19 and let's go straight to chapter 20. Yep. Or let us not read the whole novel. Let's just read the past few pages and uh, uh, last few pages so that we can get, you know, to whodunit. Or uh, we do that with math books when students are actually quite good at math. If they read the math book for the class they're about to take, they're going to get lost by chapter three. Why is that? Because they're actually not doing the exercises at the end of the chapter. Mm. Same thing with buying a, a piano book. Mm -hmm. A piano book is not going to teach you to play the piano. <laughs> I, I saw something that just really made me laugh but I was reading it was on a meditation forum and somebody was asking a question and they were following one book uh, but uh -huh. they had done some other practices not from that book that really worked for them they were like oh I did it and I just it just really connected with me and it resonated and they're asking is it okay for me to switch to the thing and I was in my head I was like it works for you. Of course, that's what you should, you know, like it was, it was, <laughs> it was so funny, but, but I remember doing that myself. And this is only recently that I'm not doing that, but I remember putting the sort of intellectual, how the path is supposed to be or supposed to go ahead of my direct experience and again, it's the same with the moving around my neck is that's my, you know, like my body basically telling me what feels good. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know. This It's nice. Yes, I understand exactly. Uh, and the, the point that you were making is, is that many people in the West misunderstand the process with the end of the process that they think that they have to go to the end of the process to verify the process rather than, no, oh, let's just go through the process and see where it takes us. They've got ideas about where things are supposed to go. And basically, it winds up mostly being magical thinking because people are trying to figure out something that they don't really know. Mm. They don't know really what the out outcome is. And so that whole idea of thou shalt sit still winds up being a struggle rather than an outcome. Yeah. And, I, and I think for me, it was, it was not just a misinterpretation on my part. There were definitely sources saying it that way. And I, I guess that was just poor instruction, but <laughs> that just added to the confusion. Well, gentlemen, this has been a very interesting chat. Do we know how to end it? I think that we've gotten quite a lot of the, the idea of the practice. Chaitan, yep. uh, one of the things that I would recommend for you is to go off and play with the breathing the way that Aman is talking about. Yep. We'll do. Get, get the body really up and energized and see how, with the body in that state, how much easier it is 
to be in the present moment with all of this stuff that's happening with right now, as opposed to when we get into overly quiet, overly still, not very well breathing uh, states that uh, put the body or the mind especially into being tired. Yeah, I do get dull like that. Okay, great. Well, I've really enjoyed this talk, guys. I hope that it's gotten some value for you. Do you have any questions before we go? I think I'm good. Awesome All right, talk. you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Hope to see you guys soon. See you guys. All right. Bye-bye.